Welcome to the Humans of Triathlon podcast. Hello, Humans of Triathlon, and welcome back for another episode of the Humans of Triathlon podcast, where we believe that the stories and journeys that come from the sport of triathlon and its humans are really something special, and each in its own way. What we aim to do is bring these amazing journeys of ordinary people with extraordinary passion out for the world to hear, to not only celebrate the sport and its people, but also inspire more people to get involved in the sport, because it really is a life changer. I'm Swapnil Chauhan here with my co-hosts Charles and Robin and another amazing guest and this is episode number three. All right, welcome back to another hot episode of Humans of Triathlon. I have a question for all of you listeners out there. Have you ever felt sort of lost now that you either needed a change or you were working so hard towards something and suddenly you have to, to change because, because life is telling you so. There's, there's no other way no? and you have to make a decision but simply don't know what to do about it. People, some people call it analysis paralysis, right? So today's story, from Tutus and Sigmund Freud books, all the way to pool boys, turbo trainers, and running shoes. Today's guest is a living example of the power of active self-discovery. After spending 16 intensive years on ballet training, she was actually once a professional ballerina. But due to unforeseen circumstances, she had to make a difficult decision and switch gears right there and then. And off she went to get a psychology degree, as you do, right? Nowadays, at 22, after her a few years in the sport and already her first podium and European Championship qualification, she has big dreams of becoming a professional triathlete. At Humans of Triathlon, we're thrilled to bring you today someone who clearly symbolizes what our mission is about. In her own words, I'm an ordinary girl ready to do quite extraordinary things. Ladies and gents, from the United Kingdom itself, please welcome Jemima Cooper. Hi. Hi, Hi, Jemima. Hi, everyone. Hi. How are you doing? Yeah, well, thank you. Well. Awesome. Yeah, we're really glad to have you on. Um, I'm personally really keen on chatting with you because I think, you know, we're going through similar kinds of journeys. Um, yeah. No, I, of course, wasn't a ballerina, but <laughs> like yourself, <laughs> I was madly in love and had big dreams in another sport, well, uh-huh. which it for me before I found triathlon. Um, then I transitioned to triathlon and saw immediate success there, um, just like you did. So <laughs> in a sense, I think we might be able to relate on many aspects. Um, Absolutely. How about we just start off with a little bit about your background? You know what, like what got you into ballet very early on in your childhood. Um, just talk to us a little bit about how that came about, and you know what made you have to leave that sport. Okay. Um. So basically, I, I, I ballet kind of found me. Um. I still remember the day I was three and a half, and I was b- bouncing around the living room. Um, and I bumped into my mom and I just told her, I, I really, I really want to go to ballet class. I'd seen sort of, um, these 
ballet TV shows, like little kids shows and things. And I, I, I just wanted to do it. And every time I had music, I'd just jiggle a bit and jive a bit with my body. And I kind of, I just knew that I wanted, that was where I needed to go or what I wanted to try. So I remember tugging on mum's skirt, going, ring them, ring them, ring them. Um, and she rang this local ballet teacher and I turned up and I was absolutely terrified. The teacher was so strict and so scary and so traditional. And I spent the whole class in silence. And silence isn't something I was very used to as a little girl. I was always chatting away. But I came out of that class and I just felt something inside. And it just went on and on from there. And when we kind of knew that um, I might be actually quite kind of good at this was when I was five and a half six I took an exam and I um got 96 percent in this exam and the examiner took my mum aside after and said this girl's got something really special mm-hmm. um and we didn't sort of know what it was or what it meant at six you know who knows um but that one day, I still remember the examiner's name was Mr. Niblet, which I found hilarious at the time. <laughs> but um, um, I don't know why that took my mind, really. But um, yeah, and it just sort of accelerated from there. So um, I started having private one-to-one classes when I was nine with my ballet teacher. Um, and things kind of got serious. I started to go on on my point, which is so wearing the the point shoes with the blocks in the bottom when I was 10 mm. uh, you're not really meant to do it till you're 13 but I was sort of very fast tracked through stuff and I was um by the time I was sort of 10 I was dancing 12 to 14 hours a week um uh, alongside school and with sort of 16 18 year olds um and then when I was 12 I decided that I wanted to take it a bit more seriously and I managed to get a full scholarship to go to one of the best ballet schools in Europe, um, a school called Tring Park, um, which is where my ballet career was going to start. It's all very young in mm-hmm. ballet. You're, you need to be professional by the time you're 18 to make yeah. a go of it. So you have a short lifespan. Um, and I went to ballet school and there was so much pressure on me because I was a scholarship student and everyone was, I, I was sort of born the perfect ballerina. I used to um, I had like the right flexibility I had the right size feet the right length of neck my arms were the right length all my proportions were right wow. and I used to find it so frustrating because I'd actually go into audition I could see the um uh the sort of examiners or whoever ticking me off and going yeah we'll take her before I'd even danced and I'm very much the kind of person that hard work equals success not the kind of person that like gets away with things easily so I found that really frustrating but that's kind of what the ballet world is about if you look right they know they can mold you and shake you into Mm -hmm. whatever they want you to be um so I was fast-tracked a lot in dance school and actually I I found it too much um there was a couple of things going on my um, parents were separating at the time so I found it all too much stress and I actually decided to, to step out of that um ballet school um which made life quite difficult because then I had to train alongside normal academic school. Um, when I was at dance school, there was um, a structure that allowed us to train almost full time alongside um, academics. Um, and so I continued to dance um, and I knew that I wanted to go professional. Um, but then I actually got 
quite seriously ill when I was 14 um, and it took me away from dancing for about two years uh, and it was actually the thing that made me better or um, made me determine that I was going to get better that sort of desire to get back to the music and get back to the movement yep. um, and I, I got through it and I um, sort of survived and I did get back to dancing um, but I wasn't completely better as I found out as I got ill again a bit later on um I had planned at the end of secondary school um the idea was to go off to America and join a professional company in America because I was very athletic as a dancer and the American dancing style suited me very well so I had these massive dreams um but when my health deteriorated that was sort of whisked away from me um but this this love was still there and it was still driving me and my what I realized was my whole self was sort of encompassed in my ballet. It, people didn't know me as Jemima. People knew me as, oh, the ballerina Jemima. It was very secondary. And that was very much as it was for me inside as well. I didn't know what I was without ballet. <laughs> and yeah. I, I didn't know what I'd do with my time. It had been my life since I was three and a half. Um, and all my friends and la la la. But um, yeah, I deteriorating health again uh, and I had to take some more time out so another sort of nine months um and it destroyed all my dreams to go to America um but actually I hadn't done I was I couldn't do any exercise at all from sort of a May, the May time of the year before and then by the January of the time I was when I was 19 I started dance classes I was at a sort of a level of health I could start dance classes I did two weeks of ballet classes and signed up to an audition to a ballet company as you do um and two weeks after that um I got the call to the audition I did the audition and I got a, um, a training contract to go to the ballet company it was the London Russian ballet company and I was on a fast track sort of scheme the plan was a year of intensive professional level training and then I could go off to America and join these companies so I had done no sport for eight months and within six weeks mm -hmm. I'd uh, done a couple of ballet classes got myself a place in a ballet company moved to London which is um, three and a half hours away from my tiny countryside town um, and yeah my whole life had changed and finally I, I'd made this dream and I got there and I thought, you know, man, I've nailed it. And geez, I'm, I'm so proud that I've got here because it's been such a rough five, six years of ill health, nearly sort of not coming through my ill health and whatever. And I've done it, you know, hooray. Um, and I got there and I started dancing and it was brutal. The training was brutal. Um, it was a Russian system of training, which is very, very traditional. And they were, I felt the people that were running it were very stuck in the past. And they were sort of telling eight-year-old girls that they had to go to the gym and they weren't allowed to eat for three days and mm -hmm. all the rest of it. And from someone that had been in very bad health, um, this kind of approach was really shocking for me because things are obviously are going to make them pretty unhealthy. Um, I, I was like, you can't, you can't do that. <laughs> uh, and then one day, um, about eight weeks into the training, I was in my class and I was standing in front of the mirrors. There's these beautiful studios with all these mirrors. 
and I was looking at my reflection and I looked at the girls around me and every single other girl in that class was completely absorbed in themselves. All they were looking at was how tight they were squeezing their legs or what placement their arms were in or where the eye line was looking. And what I was looking at in the mirror was the reflection of the willow tree that was outside the window. And that's the moment that I realized that I couldn't do it anymore, that I needed something more in my life than 40 hours a week of staring at me in a mirror. (laughs) Um, And it changed. And yeah, I, I just knew that I couldn't do it anymore. It was so life-changing coming back from my illnesses. Mm-hmm. And I just realized, you know, life has to be lived because we only have one. Um, and I didn't want to spend it being self-absorbed. I needed to find a Jemima that wasn't a ballerina first. Um, and yeah, so there you go. That's the, that's <laughs> the, the ballet to um, yeah, professional story. Um, yeah. yeah what a transformation it, it was it was pretty hard like it was it was very tough and I'd say so I still remember very vividly the exact moment it was about 10.06 on a Thursday morning um, <laughs> I remember very vividly that moment when I got that feeling that I wasn't meant to be here something was wrong but it, it wasn't like it was a, a switch I didn't you know, I didn't make that decision and then life was great. There was about a year in, like after that that I was going, who am I? Like, what can I be? And it was very conflicting. Um, you know, I, I'd, I'd literally given away 16 years of my life to so something to that ask, now I was, I was giving up. Um, because my daughter's a dancer and she had to take last year off due to a back injury. And I just know how mm-hmm. personally devastating it was to give up dance. Yeah because it's a form of emotional expression, self-expression. Yeah, completely. And, and I know triathlon is a, like a completely different beast um, and yeah. is absorbing in its own way, but do you still miss that, that outlet for creativity or that outlet for emotional expression that dance brings? Hugely, hugely. So that is something really hard. And I am phenomenally emotional. My coach like loses a will sometimes when I get far too emotional about the fact that I missed two seconds off, you know, a 800 meter rep or whatever and all the rest of it. And he's very numbers man and things like that, but that's who I am. And I, I even noticed things when I was doing my strength class this morning, I was suddenly making it all floaty with this one of the, um we had suspension straps, TRX straps. Um, mm-hmm. And I was doing one of the moves and my arms were, just naturally floating like they were doing ballet and so yeah I do I do miss it and I I noticed on the start line for example the start line of triathlon I stand in a first position which is the traditional stance a ballet dancer so when I get nervous I still do it and yeah completely this like I do feel I lost that emotional outlet and I have had to find new ways of doing it um one of the things that I did after stopping ballet was um, I actually trained as a Pilates instructor and Pilates is, is not ballet. It's much more sort of structured Technical. and it's much more. Yeah, absolutely. But it does have a slight element of sort of wattiness or um, mindfulness and whatever. And I found that a really useful transition for me. 
Um, but yeah, absolutely. It, it is hard. That's always going to be inside of me. And when I hear classical music, the other day when I got in the car and it was on Classic FM, which is the classical radio station in the UK, and there's this beautiful piece of music on, and I found myself just slightly moving with the music. It, it's, it's very sort of innate with you know, in me. It's very sort of... I've grown up. Well, I can that imagine way. that many years, it would just be kind of baked in. Yeah. Like you can't absolutely. tease it all out. No, 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 for sure. I'm um, interested. Do you consider ballet? Where do you stand on the debate of ballet being a sport versus an art? Uh, that's a very good question. Athlete? Yeah, that's a, that's a a really good question. I think um, one of the reasons that I was so attracted to the American style of dancing was that it. I felt the dancers were a lot more athletic. So in America, the style is very focused on jumping and there's a huge amount of power that these these girls um, sort of create and they're, they're leaping around quite differently to any other style um, of dancing. And I love that, the, the more sort of athleticism of of the dancing. I think the um, in Britain, the sort of royal ballet style, as we call it, is much more sort of classical, much more artistic. Um, and it didn't actually suit me as well. So I think, I mean, I always had this, I didn't sort of mention that growing up, I always had this conflict between I desperately love sport, but I desperately love ballet, but mm-hmm. sport and ballet don't go so well. Like I was always a phenomenal runner. I won, I won every cross country race in junior school and then I was cross country captain regional champion and I I just ran because I loved it and I was naturally quite good at it I mean ballet kind of helps running running does not go with ballet and my teachers would absolutely despair because if you run a couple of times a week suddenly you have thighs and (laughs) thighs and, and ballet do not mix and you can't lift your legs in the way you need to and there was this internal sort of toil between I'm so sporty like athlete sort of sport but I can't do that in the art of ballet so yeah I did feel that growing up and mm-hmm. I think I, I I think I was sort of born destined to do something with sport like I remember as little making these incredibly complex circuits of different obstacles and things to run around and trying to race my dogs around these circuits as if you know, I was in a big competition or it was like the Olympics and you know I've always done it. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> the toddler Sparta race? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, how do you feel like, um, you know, you've talked a little bit about the pressures that you were under in ballet. Yeah. And I know triathlon is largely, the pressures are kind of self-imposed. Absolutely. Do you feel like you impose that same kind of strictness on yourself? Um, that you were getting externally? So before that, um, when exactly did you get into triathlon after ballet? Okay, so um, that's a very good point, actually. I probably should have added. Um, so after I left the ballet school, I had so eight months, nine months of sort of, I don't know what to do. My parents had forced me to apply to university just in case I broke my leg. I couldn't become a ballerina or, you know, I got destroyed in a combine harvester accident or something. Um, and so luckily I'd applied to um university the day before the deadline and I managed to get five offers um to different universities um then came the trouble of actually having to decide on one which I was very very reluctant to do um 
but eventually I chose Bath University um and in the September the year after oh this well the same year so the new academic year um I went off to university and when I went there I knew that I wanted to do another sport to a high level um I had uh always been very good at running so I thought you know maybe I could actually if I train be quite good at this I mean if you've been a professional in one sport you have that mindset you're ready you're ready to go the professional um so I knew I needed I needed to like let out that energy and um get out that sport some way um so I thought I was going to do running so I went along in the freshers week for the first first week of term and I turned up to the athletics club and I was like "Uh uh-oh these are all cake avoiding, really number obsessed ballerinas in disguise. I was like, nope, this is not what I signed up for. Like, I, I don't want the same in disguise. No way. Um, so I then got a bit stuck as, you know, what am I going to do? I don't know anyone here. I need to meet people, blah, blah, blah. There was this um, event on our campus where all the sports clubs in the university show off the committees come and they show off what they've got and they try and sign up as many fresh fresher students as they can and I literally signed up to everything from sort of darts to golf to trampolining and I hate trampolines and why I did that I don't actually know but um sort of anything badminton judo I mean whatever but um then this one girl came up to me and she goes have you come to our store yet I said no um, she goes, well, we've got three sports for the price of one. So if you sign up for membership, we're the best value. And I was like, right, nailed it. Sold. Value was so expensive. <laughs> you know, I'm doing something that's good value for money. And that club oh, God, turned yes. out to be, that club turned out to be triathlon. Um, and I loved it. The first ride I went on, I was like, man, this is so cool. This is awesome. Um, and one thing led to another. I was having some problems with my glucose levels and I'd met a dietitian um who worked in elite sport um there's so many elite athletes in Bath so it's a big it's a big thing and I got talking to this dietitian who invited me to a book launch where I met a professional triathlete um who'd had some injuries and difficulties and um yeah we do we got talking and we we just hit it off and we've been friends ever since Mm-hmm. And actually, um, I still had some bit of like um, health issues still lying around. So I had to solve them. So I couldn't start training for another four months. Um, but in the January of my first year of university, um, this lovely girl, Eloise de Lua, she um, sent me my first training program. And yeah, I started very slowly. I could only do a little bit of activity to begin with. Um, sort of four sessions a week and we built it up and built it up within eight weeks I entered my first race which was a disaster I had about three panic attacks in the open water I'm I also have a terrible phobia of water I have done since I was a baby I had to be washed in the sink as a baby because I was too scared of the bath so like how I ended up by being a triathlete like I'm the most not meant to be triathlete that exists I swear but anyway um so yeah I had this terrible race I yeah cried through the swim I uh was so annoyed by the fact that I cried through the swim into transition 
I thought I had a puncture on the bike because I just did not understand bike mechanics and didn't realize it was just because my legs were quite tired and I was just really quite slow. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like, yes, the run, my bit, my bit. And I didn't quite understand how painful it is to run after you've been in a bike for a prolonged period of time. So that was quite miserable too. But anyway, I crossed the finish line and it was just a mixture of emotion. I was sort of elated because this was this was no doubt the hardest thing I'd ever, ever done. The biggest, biggest feat of endurance that I've ever done. And I, I, endurance is just where it's at for me. I've always loved it. They're just a challenge that, you know, you against yourself and your head. I mean, that for me is amazing. That's why I admire these other athletes, these triathletes so much. Um, so, yeah, so that race was, was a disaster, but it sparked a fire in me. And a very, like, a huge sort of passion in me starts to develop. Um, and a determination, too, because I don't, I don't like to fail. <laughs> um, I'd signed up to a race, and in my mind, I'd not done what I wanted to do. And so, and then four weeks after that, I signed up to the next race, and I nailed it. I won my age group. I ran, like, super, like, way better than I ever run. I, so I came out of the water, like, fifth, which for me was huge, because... I'm just not a swimmer. I couldn't swim till I was 13 at all. Um, and I was so terrified of open water, but I enjoyed it. And it, it was just, yeah. And it just went on and on from there. Um, so and then fun. another six weeks, I was on the podium again. So, And I won it outright that time. I didn't even win my age group. I won my age group and the whole event. Um, yeah. The fire was born and it just kept on going and going. <laughs> <laughs> so from panicking three times on the water... Just a second yeah. one, podium, boom. Yeah, pretty much. I, I think um, my dad always says whenever I ring him up in a state and I'm all stressed about you know, exams or the fact that I've got to pay a bill or something really trivial, um, he always goes, mine's, like, let's see, he calls me, um, you've overcome so much worse. And it's so true. I um, People always sort of say that like, my determination is something that, is sort of second to none and I think that's kind of true I kind of I I set a goal and I do absolutely everything in my power to achieve that goal like no matter what it takes and that it that is me and it's for better and for worse it can be quite harmful at times if you like or it can cause you quite a lot of pain if you do it or sacrifices in other ways but like if I know I want to do something I'm gonna make damn sure that I do it and coming out of that water that very first race I was like this is not happening you know I'm gonna I'm gonna nail the sphere um you know I'm, I'm gonna do it and I'm gonna be a winner and, and yeah I was wow indeed I think from the from the from the, from the point of view of the listener I think when you said no I whenever I set, set a goal in my mind I do everything in my power to go after it so what happens for example when you are in the middle of your bike, all the sun strong out there, you're sweating a lot, and you're like, you're saying, why am I not on a beach having an ice cream? Uh, <laughs> well, right? I do so, get that. <laughs> right? Yeah. You get that. So what, what is it that goes yeah, in your like, mind? But, How do you fight that? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. It's something that I've sort of um, toiled over quite a lot, and especially to my that's why I wanted to take psychology. I think that's the question that I wanted to answer. What makes me able to push to the absolute 
like I've pushed before in sessions to like collapse or blacked out and things. But what is the difference between me being able to do that and someone like my my mum? I mean, she she loves doing a bit of sport, but if anything hurts, she stops um, straight away. And what makes me different? And I'm not saying it's bad if you stop if you don't if it's not your goal to kill yourself on a bike. I mean, good on you. Um, but yeah, and I mean, like from quite a specific point of view I think when I had the really really hard bike sessions and things like that I I use mental strategies um and they're different ones that work for different people but one that works really well for me is I try to zone out of the pain I I imagine myself as um one of the really inspirational athletes or um people I really admire so some of Siri Lindley's athletes some of the triathletes might know Siri Lindley, um, but Ellie Salthouse and things. I, I I imagine that I'm her sitting on a turbo and look down on myself um, from like taking myself out of the pain, look down the situation. That's one of the things I do. Another thing that kind of sounds a bit weird and don't take this the wrong way if I did, but I um, um, I like to visualize different things. So I visualize walking around like a maze and in each part of the maze I have a different coloured room and I try to think of objects that correspond to the colour of the room so if I go into an orange room then I think of I don't know I've got an orange hat and um, there's a foam roller in my room that's orange and I put these items into the into the room in my head and this is this is a really good way to you know it's very like hands-on strategy to help you when it's really getting tough in the in the sessions and it sounds really silly but like the mind is so powerful and you can do these things you can teach yourself to do it and you will hit the numbers you know if you take your head out um but in races i I think that that's something that yeah a lot of triathletes or athletes of any stripe use in in varying ways i love your your description of your room um i've heard people say they you know, take a road trip or yeah. they build a tower or a friend of mine you know, has they, they kind of his debates. Um, <laughs> he he imagines <laughs> debates going on and that works for him. But yeah, it, it's very individual, but don't underestimate what you can do in your head. <laughs> um, Absolutely. But one thing I would say, though, so that's that's what I use when I'm, you know, sitting there on my own sweating my way through my turbo session and sort of thinking oh gosh how am I going to get through another 12 minutes at 120% of FTP kind of thing um but when I'm in a race I think broader than that and the first race that I won outright what got me through that was this mantra I had going on which was go for gold and never settle for silver and for me that means you know it's not necessarily the gold. It's not winning the race. It's being your gold. So you don't want to look back half an hour after that race finishes and go, I could have pushed harder. You want to, at every single moment of that race, be your goal, be your best. And, you know, no matter what's going on, no matter if there's another girl that's fast that's coming back, you know, coming um, past you, you've got to do absolutely everything you can in that moment not to be second best um and that was really powerful for me that one was really powerful yeah so how did you um make that transition from fearful of swimming to enjoying swimming like what kind of did you 
conscientiously do that or did it just get better or was there something else? That was more mental strategies. <laughs> it took some time. <laughs> um, that was took a couple of open water swim sessions, just like two or three. There's a local lake near where my dad lives. Um, and we went, I went out into the lakes and I, it was, um, they were organized sessions. So I felt a lot more safe because there were quite a lot of people in the water and there were lifeboats going around. So that was really useful. Um, but also I used more mental strategies, as I said, um, <laughs> I tried to make myself feel more at one with the water. So instead of being, feeling very out of place and very anxious, I tried to imagine that I was something that was very in sync with the water. So I like to imagine myself as a seahorse. And as my boyfriend quite rightly pointed out, a seahorse is really slow at swimming. So we did slightly <laughs> alter that image. Point. We altered the image to a, a seahorse with an outboard engine, um, which I found quite comical. But um, taking a bit of humour into it really helped as well. So it was just trivialising the situation because realistically, the water's not going to hurt you. If you're in a wetsuit, you float anyway. If you stop swimming, you pretty much float. And um, it was just like taking the fear out of it, trivialising it and pretending I was something that was very, uh, very at one for me. Um, I mean, other people might imagine a dolphin or a shark being quite powerful. But for me, like the, the seahorse was a very beautiful, very sort of serene image for me. And that made me feel really calm in the water. Um, so whenever I get the anxiety, because I do, it, it is a phobia that I've been born with. As I say, I've had this phobia of water ever since I was tiny. I mean, I still, if I don't swim for a week, jumping into even a 25 meter pool, I still get that anxiety. My my heart rate goes up, you know, my breathing rate gets funny. Um, but I just have to calm myself down and really rationalise the situation. Um, it, it, I think lots of triathletes have this problem, like don't feel you're alone. If you're, if you're listening to this going, oh my gosh, yes, I, I relate to that. I get so scared and open water. You're not alone. There's so many people, I get messages on Instagram and things like that whenever I post something sort of mm -hmm. to that accord. Um, and yeah, so don't get scared by the fear either. Um, we all have it, but if you are able to interpret the fear for really what it is, and it's just a physiological response, your body's worried about something, but you can control that. You can control that. You're in control. Then, you know, you'll come through. <laughs> so are you pursuing your, um, psychology further? Because you seem like you just have a lot of insights into <laughs> at least how your own own psychology works and are you going to apply that in some way to athletics or athletes well funnily enough I did go well, I spent the whole of my first year and half of my second year of uni determined to do sports psychology um I thought that was what I wanted to do performance enhancement um, um sports psychology I did quite a lot of work experience and things like that um but unfortunately I realized that uh a lot of sports psychology is actually based in depression and eating disorders and it's very difficult for um, sports psychologists to deal with that because they don't have a clinical basis um, to actually treat these people. So they actually identify the problem and have to pass them on to someone else. And I think that's not really what I want to do. But what I really find interesting is a performance enhancement element. But I think I want to apply it to more of a business context um, mm. uh, and also in marketing Um and things like that so actually applying some of the principles I know and taking from my own experience of um sort of lots of the teamwork 
situations I've been in through my sport and things like that, um, some of the sort of psychological mechanisms that I've learned about things, you, you, you can link them and tie them into lots of other places. And that's, I think, where I want to go. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I would also mention, I meant to say earlier when you asked me about the, um, the emotional, do I miss the emotion? Um, and I said, yes, absolutely, I do. One thing I would say is through triathlon, although I don't let out my emotions in the exact same way, not physically like I used to in ballet, one of the things I started doing in triathlon was writing a blog um, about my experiences in training um, and also some of my Instagram profiles and things like that. Um, and I found that actually a really great way to um, release some of that emotion, the writing. So it was a completely different form of emotional release, but um, yeah. Yeah, I can that. <laughs> yeah, but sort of incorporating those sort of skills as well as some of the stuff I've learned from my degree and then maybe yeah, performance enhancement, but not in sport perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who knows? All right, I want to get back to that, um, you know, to your transition again from ballet to triathlon because um, I remember when I made the switch from cricket to triathlon, uh, mentally it wasn't the easiest thing to do. Yeah. Because, um, you know, I, I love cricket, like you, you said, you love ballet as well. And I just felt like um, the transitioning, uh, it was the right thing to do. And it was easily the best decision I made, but definitely hard because yeah. my parents had invested so much into cricket already. And, you know, it was just out there amongst all my family and friends that I wanted yeah. to become something in cricket. And like you said, it was, you know, your identity. So yeah. I was kind of worried about what other people would say, you know, what, like if I quit and I gave up on that sport um, what everyone would be saying and um, so what is that like for you um, the opinions of others did you care about um, what they were going to say or um, was that you just had to do what was right for you what was that like naturally like um, you're completely right I um, when I had that sort of eight month and, like, period I, I wasn't even any like like um, I wasn't anywhere near the top level in cricket. I was just, you know, I was working really hard, but I wasn't getting anywhere. So uh-huh. for you, it must have been totally different because you were already like a professional. So yeah, um, yeah, it was it was weird. It was I definitely I think weird is a a good term. <laughs> Everything was so so unknown. I did not know what was going on. I did not know what to do with my life. How to act as this person that wasn't a ballerina anymore. I really did not know who I was. If you asked me, you know, if I if I went to an interview and was asked, you know, describe describe yourself in so many words, I, I would have had nothing. I, I I didn't know. And every every day, every week I had a new idea. Oh, I could be a rocket scientist today. Oh, maybe I want to be a school teacher. No, I don't. I don't want to do any of those things. But I just didn't know. Um I got a yeah, those eight months were super hard and I live in a very small town that everyone knows each other I went to school with the same people when I was four as I ended up sort of graduating high school with you know we all knew each other and they all knew me as a dancer they knew how many hours and hours and hours of training I'd done um and that was very hard to explain uh meeting up with school friends who knew I'd gone off to be a professional and then having to explain that the fact that I saw a willow tree in a in a mirror was the reason I knew um you know it wasn't for me I mean how, how do you explain that in you know a couple of words you can't um and I didn't 
I didn't fully understand the decision to begin with either. Um, and then going off to university, I suppose I was quite lucky with my timing in a sense, because that opportunity to go off to university meant I had a, a possibility to reinvent myself. And I really did at university. Uh, people at school wouldn't recognise me now at all. Um, my whole self changed in so, so many ways. Um, and uh, university is obviously a great opportunity for that to happen. But I did notice at first that automatically when I was introducing my, myself to the many, many people I met, it was, oh, where do you come from? What course are you doing? Oh, by the way, I was a ballerina. And I, I just found myself talking about that because I, I didn't, that was sort of my natural response. And that was all I knew. And I spoke a lot with this about, um, a lot about this to my family. And, you know, they were sort of coaching me to say, you know, remember, you do have other things. And, you know, you are an interesting person. You don't have to tell everyone about this. You don't have to justify yourself by telling everyone that you were a ballerina. You know, you can be whatever you want now from day one, no matter what happened for the first 19 years. You know, you've got day one. Every new day is a day one and you can choose to be what you want. Um, and this took me some time. It was like the first few months was, were really tough. And I think lots of people have a bit of an identity crisis when they go to university because so much changes mm -hmm. so quickly. Um, but for me, it was really quite something else. I never wanted to go to university, never, ever the plan. And really, it'd been all quite fast. I never really had a chance to stop and look back and sort of absorb everything that had just happened. Um, but slowly and surely, I had different experiences, met different people, I met a fantastic group of friends, um, and I started to learn that there was more to me than I thought. And when I began to meet new people by sort of Christmas time, I wasn't introducing myself as a ballerina anymore, I was actually introducing myself as Jemima, first of all, that was doing a psychology degree, a bit about some of the stuff I did in my free time, and oh, I've just started triathlon, it's quite fun. And, um, you know, what society are you in? I had more to talk about. Um, and yeah, and I definitely say that starting triathlon gave me something new, something to hold on to. I was learning so much about the sport. I mean, I, I literally learned how to ride a bike. I'd never been on a, on a road bike before then. And, um, I, I didn't even know what a threshold heart rate was and what even is a heart rate monitor. I mean, and geez, I didn't know anything. And mm -hmm. so I was learning so much about that. But at the same time, I was learning so much about myself. I was learning that actually I am pretty strong and actually giving up ballet wasn't a weakness. That was actually a strength. And it's a similar strength that I'm showing right now in this, you know, three, 10 minutes of puke worthy turbo session and whatever <laughs> you know and actually I could see that that like power was translating to other parts of my life and it was kind of yeah just showing me that there was more um yeah it was a process tough process but a process yeah a good one good one ultimately <laughs> fulfilling process definitely yeah yeah so yeah, I have yeah. a question for you now now that you have done through all of this all this process mm -hmm. that you have said obviously painful uh at moments you were sort of lost but then you found yourself 
and yeah. you've learned like so much things and uh, you feel like a completely different person like you just said now. Uh, also, you've mentioned, not in this podcast, but I've read on your blog, you want to take the next step. You're looking for yeah. professional triathlon. Yeah. So tell us a little I bit mean, about that. Yeah, that's... um. That would be that would be the dream. I mean, I went into triathlon, and I like I said, I I had the mindset of a professional, and I had the skills of a numpty. I I had no skills. I couldn't swim. Um, I in the first, just how bad I was at swimming in the first sort of two month block of training, I took forty seconds off my one hundred meter time. So that just indicates how slow I was. Oh wow! You know, yeah, it was like um. It was really frustrating because I had the mindset of a professional, but I didn't have the physical ability yet. And I worked and I worked and worked. And the first year was, you know, it is all about learning the ropes very much. Um, and then at the beginning of this academic year, so in September, I decided I wanted to get more serious. I mean, I I got pretty successful in the first five months of taking up the sport. I've naturally got a great endurance base because the volume of sort of baseload training I've done since I was four years old has you know put me in good stead for endurance so I actually started um training with a higher end club um up in Bath we have some British triathletes we have one of the um medalists from Rio Olympics that trains up there and I started training with some of like the, the higher end athletes and I was focusing on drafting races um so that's what you see in the Olympics those sort of races um and I was training huge amounts of doing sort of 25, 26 hours of training a week. But that didn't really suit me well. I'm not, as I say so many times, I'm, I'm not born a swimmer. And um, in sort yeah. of elite racing and Olympic distance racing, you have to be such a phenomenal swimmer. Like the really great ones tend to come from a swimming background. And that's just not where my strengths are. And I had to look very practically at it and go, actually, am I ever going to be strong enough in the swim to really do well at this and I was like I'm, I'm not sure um and I wasn't really enjoying training either I didn't enjoy the drafting I didn't enjoy the drafting sessions on the bike I'm quite a scaredy cat really I think um because I spent so many years going you can't break anything else your career is over so I've sort of been wrapped in cotton wool and so asking me to hightail around in a in a pack going 45k an hour around tight corners is just like oh no um so in January or February this year, I um, actually started training under a new coach called William Usher, um, who's a really quite well-known coach in the UK. And I made the decision to step up to 70.3 half Ironman distance. Um, for me, this is what triathlon's about. That that thing I was saying about you against your head and, you know, just that sheer endurance element that really, really excites me. This is what the athletes in 70.3 and full Ironman distance that's what it's about um and actually that suits my strengths really really well um because I I'm a bit of a threshold junkie I can hold pretty fast for forever and I'm pretty strong if you ask me to go really fast I'm not very good so threshold is like where I'm at um so actually sort of 70.3 distance is like hits a nail on the head for me um and over the first few blocks of training like my progression has been I sort of surprised myself I think I surprised my coach 
um, how fast I was able to adapt um, and how big the jumps are. I've just got a power meter, for example, and it's a massive luxury, I know, but um, I'm very sort of grateful to have it. But I'm able to see that actually I'm coming a long way on the bike um, and it's really quite promising. And my run, especially my my threshold pace is is really quite good now. It's really promising. If I if I compare my training results um, and my sort of predictions of my races to what the pro field in Britain's doing at some of the races, I'm not far off. Um, And I haven't been doing this long. I haven't been at this game long and in triathlon. You, you've got the luxury of so much time at 19 going professional as a ballerina I was basically a retiree like I was so old but you know I've got years like one crappy week of sessions or whatever right now in the grand scheme of things I've got 15 years to get that threshold bike right or whatever it is um and like the progress I'm making now and you know it really points to good things so I'm really hoping that this season on my sort of entry into the sport, um, I will put out some some good some good race results. I've got some some Ironman events coming up, so the field's going to be really quite strong. Um, I'm also wanting to get my um, world championship qualification probably for next year. I I had aimed to qualify this year, but unfortunately. The event is in South Africa this year, which just from a money point of view is just a little bit unachievable. But next year it's in France, so it's a lot it's a lot closer and a lot more achievable. Absolutely. But um yeah, I'm I'm targeting also the European Championships this year. So hopefully I should really put my like get my name out there and show what I'm made of, if you like. Um and then the the aim is to continue working hard, um, continue racing, you know getting experience I think experience of the bad races as much as the good ones um so I can really you know once I get that professional license and I like I say it's a goal of mine and I'm gonna make damn sure I get there um but once once I get to that level you know then I can really make a difference in the field and really mean business um so yeah so I I'll yeah hopefully within the next few months slash years the pro license will be on the cards um you're keeping an eye out for you <laughs> oh well that would be yeah well I I love about track and I love the fact that you stand on the start line and you're with big small old young people with a dodgy leg people that have never you know, like swam with more in their life and you have no idea who is going to win you have no idea who's going to win I mean one of the races I did some 58 year old woman ran past me at such a pace and I was like how could that happen like no this is this is wrong and she went on to win and I was like fair play but there's such a sense of wit in this together um and I really feel like I I I really feel that um you know if I did get a professional license I I wouldn't I'd still be really wanting to engage with the triathlon community I think it's such a great community we're all going through something that's really really tough everyone is pushing themselves on the start line of triathlon whether it's a sprint or whether it's an Ironman or whether you're a complete loony and you do these triple Ironman mental you know events we're all pushing ourselves hard um and you know if I were to turn pro I mean that'd be phenomenal but I would still want to sort of I yeah I don't think it should be any different from anyone else. Don't sort of pedestal. I wouldn't want to be pedestaled as, you know, that person. I, I want to, you know, keep on encouraging others to take it up, like you say, and 
just show people how wonderful it is and what it can do. It's a saviour. You know, triathlon really was my saviour and it can be for so many people. It is for so many people. I'm, you know, your whole account, your whole humans of triathlon account is these people that, you know, triathlon has been really quite life changing. Um, So, yeah. And I think the pro license would give me that opportunity to sort of sell that, you know, a little more or promote that positivity. So that's the driver behind the pro license more than anything else, but more than the race results, maybe. Um, just for the whole community that I could hopefully reach. Encourage. Yeah, reach yeah. Out to. Inspire. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, inspire. inspire there yeah. you go. <laughs> nice. All righty then. I think we can wrap things up here. Um, before we do, is there anyone you want to give a shout out to or anything like that? Yeah, I would definitely. Um, I mentioned her earlier, but um, Eloise Delua was. She was so awesome being my coach in the first year. Um, we went from the baby sessions that were sort of 30 minutes on a on a spin bike. And she dealt with all my random questions about what does it mean when my heart rate is increasing or la la la. And just say, which which side do I, you know, which side do I get on the bike? And just like really, really trivial questions. And she was so patient. And so she gave me so much hope and so much inspiration. So I definitely think she was a massive part of my sort of entry into triathlon. So definitely a massive shout out to her. And she's got some, she's had some real struggles, injury and different things, but she stayed so positive. Um, and she, you know, she's destined for great things in the tri world. So definitely massive shout out to her and just, just my family for standing by me. I mean, they've been phenomenal in, um, triathlon they they found it difficult to support me in ballet I think because it wasn't always the best thing for me it wasn't always the happiest place the healthiest place for me in ballet but they really see that triathlon is something different um and my mum came to support me at one of my first races and she stopped me at the end she just she just hugged me and goes wow mimes you know look what you've overcome um and to have her there and to have her like seeing her so happy that I'd done it um was amazing you know and mm-hmm. yeah so and just on the off chance just shout out to everyone else that's giving it a go you know if you are out there pacing on that bike or you're that person that's got up super early on a Sunday morning to go for a rainy bike ride because you've got a tri race in three weeks time that you're really scared about fair play you know well done you um yeah and keep doing what you're doing and i'm sure you all agree with me that it is so refreshing to know that there's no right uh length of neck to be a triathlete (laughs) that is uh yeah so so refreshing yeah please if anyone gets out a tape measure i just see you later i'm not interested (laughs) so yeah absolutely (laughs) Awesome. Where can everyone find you online? Okay, so um, my Instagram profile, I update regularly. So you see lots of moaning, groaning and lots of runner's highs on there. And that's um, gemcoop96 um, on Instagram. And I also have a Facebook page, which is Jemima Cooper Try. And then my website, which is really quite exciting. It's come, I've launched this this year and that has my blog on it as well with lots of different things I do some training stuff on my blog I do some reviews um updates of training and things like that and there's a little bit more about my background or if you just want to contact me that's a great way and that's Jemima Cooper triathlon at weebly.com 
um but that's also linked to in my Instagram profile as well um I'm always I'm always so like it makes me so happy when people contact me online and on social media or ask me questions about training or tell me about theirs or things like that like I say the community in triathlon is a massive part for me um so if you've like heard this podcast you want to ask me any questions about training or anything I've said or wanting ideas or just want to chat with a fellow triathlete definitely drop me a message and um I'd definitely be happy to have a yeah have a chat with you so great so our last question why do you try (laughs) why do I try because it is the most awesome sport where everything I love about sport comes together and no one knows who is going to win so you've always got to make like your absolute best to be your best on the day um and there's there's no perfect triathlete that's also massive yeah. isn't it? no perfect triathlete I, I'm the perfect example of the non-perfect triathlete um so yeah <laughs> absolutely give it a go <laughs> that is amazing all right everyone make sure to check Jemima Cooper out and follow her in her blog um her journey of self-discovery is really amazing She's up to some big things and she's not one to hold back on putting herself out there and her big goals. And she's ready to put in the work. So we can't wait to follow her journey ahead towards our professional license and beyond that. So Jemima, thanks a ton for taking the time to be on here with us. It's been so much fun. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, you were a great guest. Thank you. Oh, well, thank you. Definitely. We're rooting for you, Jemima. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Big thank you to our listeners. Um, means a ton that you're all here listening to this. And feel free to shoot any, else, any of us a message or leave a review to let us know how you're liking the episodes and the podcast. Or if you'd like to see anyone in particular on the show, all kinds of feedbacks and reviews would be appreciated. And yeah, make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Strava. You can find us at Humans of Triathlon. Just stay tuned for future guest episodes. So till next time, stay awesome and keep trying.